men have really poor outcomes when it comes to mental health and the statistics around there are, pr- are pretty frightening. Even as a mental health doctor, some of this stuff still shocks me when I sort of hear it. When I was right in the thick of sort of the, the bodybuilding competing and, yeah. and doing some of that photo shoot work and stuff, you know, it, it's so easy to get caught up in that sense of my worth is related to what I look like. Welcome to the Seize the Yay podcast. Busy and happy are not the same thing. We too rarely question what makes the heart sing. We work, then we rest, but rarely we play and often don't realise there's more than one way. So this is a platform to hear and explore the stories of those who found lives they adore. The good, bad and ugly, the best and worst day will bear all the facets of seizing your yay. I'm Sarah Davidson, or Spoonful of Sarah, a lawyer turned fun entrepreneur who swapped the suits and heels to co-found Matcha Maiden and Matcha Milk Bar. Seize the Yay is a series of conversations on finding a life you love and exploring the self-doubt, challenge, joy and fulfilment along the way. Lovely yayborhood, you might know that this week is Men's Health Week. And while, of course, everyone's health is equally important, I really support the particular focus this week on the unique challenges faced by men in both their physical and mental health. As you'll hear, men's health outcomes often fall far behind those of women, and they still face a lot of stigma around the perceived weakness of seeking help. So I think this is a wonderful way to remind men that they are not alone in their challenges and to help women too understand how we can help change the dialogue for our partners, brothers, sons and friends. Men's mental health statistics in particular always come as such a shock to me and if you haven't listened to our chats with Osher Ginsberg and Jake Edwards, they share some very honest and personal insights on their mental health journey that are well worth a listen. For this episode though, I thought we'd get a medical expert's perspective and who better to join us than medical doctor, psychiatry resident and mental health advocate Dr. Kieran Kennedy. You might have seen Dr. Kieran on the latest cover of Men's Health magazine dedicated to the incredible efforts of healthcare workers through the COVID-19 pandemic. Shout out to another CCA guest, Scotty Henderson, the editor and his wonderful team. And that is just one of the many challenges that Dr. Kieran generously opens up about in our chat. From humble, idyllic beginnings in rural New Zealand, and you'll hear all about the joys of what's called Calf Club, Kieran is the embodiment of persistence and grit, working his way through a Bachelor of Science into his medical studies and is now six months off finishing his specialisation in psychiatry. And between those decades of university, fits his passion for fitness and a bodybuilding career in On The Side. He is self-deprecating in a way that belies his success and he gives us such powerful insights into men's struggles with societal views on manliness, hardening up and even on how much more widespread men's battles with body image are and valuing themselves based on how they look. This conversation opened my eyes up to so much and I really hope it does the same for you. Kieran, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a uh pretty surreal to be here to be honest. It's so weird this is I was just saying to Kieran the first episode in person since months and yeah. months ago and I was just setting up my equipment like can I even do this? Like <laughs> We're breaking boundaries, yeah. restrictions are lifting. It's so it's weird thing. but I was like you know I'm with a doctor, I'm in good hands and he just looked at me and said that doesn't mean anything. 
I was like, you ruined my whole sense of security in the universe. You're not supposed to tell people that. <laughs> so, I mean, that's the perfect place to start. As you know, every episode starts with a little icebreaker, just asking everyone what the most down-to-earth thing is about them. And as the latest cover star of Men's Health magazine, there's a very literally glossy exterior at the oh, moment. You went there. <laughs> of course I did. So before we get into things today, what is something super down-to-earth about you? I mean, your coffee order is is one that I would love you to explain. I'm just outing you on all fronts. So I'm probably the only doctor in the universe who is super sensitive to caffeine. Yeah. So, How do you even do your hours? Yeah, I don't know. Like, <laughs> it's probably a sad thing that I have a decaf long black like I've just ordered here and I like feel fizzing on it. Like I'm like, oh my God, you're buzzing on it. <laughs> You've had like two sips. Okay. Calm down. So that's. <laughs> Probably like an embarrassing, fairly down to earth. It's thing pretty about down to earth. <laughs> yeah, but so. I love that you were like, I still want a long black. Like I still want the strongest coffee that there is, but I want the decaf version. I know <laughs> that's why whenever I order it, I'm, it's always with a slight apology. I'm like, yeah, just don't <laughs> say it too loudly, but a decaf long black. I mean, as a newcomer to Melbourne, you will be quickly learning that that's definitely not the weirdest thing that most baristas have heard of over here. This is true. I think if it involves only two two steps, then I'm probably pretty safe. Yeah, I mean, you're basically just vanilla. You're like <laughs> pretty, riding the conventional pretty area. Pretty boring, yeah. eh? <laughs> Which is probably a fairly normal sums me up type thing as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I don't think so. It's easy for you to say. <laughs> but I think that's one of the reasons I love creating this show so much is that to each of us individually, our own story is so boring and normal because it's exactly what you do every day. To everyone else out there, it is so interesting to hear what you've just come from today and where you were and what you do day to day. Even the small, tiny details that you take for granted in your own life can be totally invigorating and enlightening to others so amen I love that and you know obviously we'll I'm sure we'll dive into it a bit but that's actually one of the reasons I love what I do mm. um, because they say it doesn't matter what someone's doing or where they come from or, or what their story is it's all just fascinating and beautiful and messy and mm. and imperfect and perfect in its in its own way isn't it yeah. um so yeah, that's I agree with that a hundred percent. I'm like, wow, I have a doctor's approval. <laughs> this is a great start. <laughs> We're nailing it. Yeah. You've outed my embarrassing coffee order. We can finish now. <laughs> and we've solved Done. What the a world's great problems. Yeah, I mean, thanks for that. So the first section is your way TA, which is the roller coaster that it usually takes most of us to figure out where we're meant to be. And I think I, I really love to remind everyone that nothing is linear. Most overnight successes that seem overnight are actually decades in the making. And, you know, for you, coming from a, you know, country farming upbringing mm. in New Zealand, it's medicine at the Alfred in Melbourne is kind of not exactly where I would think that you would necessarily yeah, end no, up. No, me neither, to be <laughs> honest with you. So I'm just as surprised yeah. as anyone else, trust me. <laughs> so take us back to the very beginning and tell us about what you, you know, what young Kieran was like. And mm. I imagine that, you know, in Waiuku in the North Island, you probably didn't 
have a lot of exposure to the medical profession. So what did you think you wanted to be? What what did you love doing as a kid? And what was the journey that sort of led you here? Yeah, I guess in terms of me and the journey to get here, as you say, it did start in a in a small, really rural farming town in New Zealand. I'm from the North Island, a couple of hours out of Auckland, which uh, in New Zealand, if you kind of drive half an hour from the city in any direction, you're in the middle of the country. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, I was born on a farm and both my parents' sides of the families had dairy farms. And um, so yeah, that's where Minnie Karen first. (laughs) Frolicking among the cows. (laughs) Jumping into creeks and cow sheds and whatnot. So yeah, it was a pretty sort of awesome childhood but a fairly typical sort of small town New Zealand one Mm. I went to a small rural primary school where you know I recognized pretty early on that I really loved the schooling academic side of stuff but you know we also did quintessentially New Zealand things like calf club and stuff which (laughs) which people people in Australia are always like sorry what which I didn't know calf club (laughs) I didn't know that calf club wasn't just a thing everywhere. No, no. Um, no and no. I can see from your face that it's definitely not. <laughs> you can see how excited I am that we have our first calf club graduate <laughs> on the show. That's going to be your title on the child, you know, not doctor. And, and I say this with all humility, but but calf club champion. Like, thank oh, you very much. absolutely. So, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, how could I miss that in the research? Calf club is something that um, is a bit of a rural tradition in New Zealand. And once a year at primary school it's like a it's kind of like a fair day I guess where there's like all these little stores and you have competitions to like make stuff and do flower arranging and the peak of the calf club dynasty is people raise calves or sheep and you take them through little obstacle courses and stuff That's how you became a champion? Yeah. Oh, my God. So you win ribbons, and if you win at your school, you go on to, like, a regional. Oh, my gosh. And you try and convince people there's not a stereotype. I know. I was just thinking, I'm really falling into this rabbit hole. New Zealand. No, but Calf Club is amazing. Just to put that out there. Yeah. And yeah, I can so, see that. Look yeah. at the sparkle in your eye while you reflect. <laughs> really brings me alive. Yeah. Nothing else I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gives me that sense of passion. So, yeah, that probably sums up fairly well. Uh, childhood. What my <laughs> childhood was like. But, no, it was great. Loved being outdoors. Loved being in nature. I really loved animals. And so, for me, actually, for a long time, becoming a, a vet I was, was actually ask. what I wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, so, I always knew that I... I just loved helping people and helping things. I think was probably quite a quiet kid and and sort of quite plugged in, maybe emotionally and and um, bit of a sensitive sausage. Yeah, yeah, it was quite sort of sensitive to the needs of others, mm. maybe in a lot of ways, which was maybe at times a little bit outside the box. Um, for that kind of quintessential country kid. <laughs> yeah, um, for a country bumpkin playing yeah, calf club. Yeah, calf club or not. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was sort of my my early days and, and I grew up with a really uh, amazing family that I still feel super lucky to have dad's a police officer and mum works at the local high school in the in the local town and they actually met at 15 16 (gasps) in the same school that me and my three younger brothers all ended up going to and stuff so it's a bit of a family affair like (laughs) 
It's a bit of a classic. That you're just like, it's like a fairy tale growing up. A little bit. <laughs> but with also leading sheep around yeah. like little bridges. That's part of the fairy tale. Yeah. Okay. It's a rural fairy tale, a pastoral fairy tale. <laughs> New Zealand fairy tale. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I think one of the really cool things about that is that we often think, particularly in a world now that's so competitive and ambition focused mm. and productivity focused, that you wouldn't necessarily think ambition could get you out of a rural upbringing into, you know, cutting edge of medicine in Melbourne, get on the cover of Men's Health and be spreading a message so widely. So where did that sense of ambition come from that then drove you to Auckland, which I've heard you fondly refer to as the big smoke, which is actually not the biggest smoke that you ended up moving to. But that <laughs> For it, that time, it was a pretty big smoke. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like I, I can imagine. But to make that decision... You know, when, when you did think that it was going to be vet science and, and then formulating the idea that it would actually be medicine, that's a, a huge jump. Yeah. So what led you to that and what helped you not think that there was a ceiling to yeah. that possibility? Yeah, I mean, I think it it was hard at times because I think particularly when I was a, a teen, and I think this is something we all go through, isn't it? But, you know, I think especially coming from maybe that smaller town environment and things, I I remember just very much wanting to kind of just be like everyone else. You know mm. what I mean? And I think as, as adolescents and teenagers, we can all have that sense in some way. Totally. You know, so that pull to sort of maybe focus more on sports than like academic work and, and I really want to go to uni. Like, mm. do I want to stay in town or and stay on the farm, for example? But I think for me, it was just really following those things that I was passionate about and um, a definite self-confessed nerd. Uh, <laughs> I just, you know, I, I loved biology. I loved science. And then even from a really young age as well, probably my first love was uh, writing and was was wow. the arts actually. And so I think when I came to decide that I wanted to do medicine, it was because in some way I knew that that combined those things for me. Mm. Um, you know, obviously veterinary science is an amazing thing, but for me, I love connecting with people and and talking and, you know, family could would always joke about never being able to shut me up. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I sort of realized quite early on that doing something where I could sort of really make the core of what I did be about focusing on people and talking to them and hearing their stories and mm. things that that was going to be it for me. Um, wow. So yeah, I sort of decided to pack things up and move to the big smoke <laughs> and <laughs> leave calf club behind. Wow. I mean. <laughs> Which is not easy. You know? No, it's definitely, I mean, I can you imagine. Can, can imagine it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so moved up to Auckland and started uni and that first year was a pretty tough year. Mm, um, huge adjustment. Massive adjustment and, you know, I, I was pretty homesick mm. and questioning whether I should be doing this or, you know, should I be doing the writing stuff or the artistic stuff? And I actually missed out on medical school the first time around. So is this how you started your Bachelor of Science? So yeah. you started, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Another yeah. really interesting point that as a teen or in that you know formative phase where you think you have to make your forever decisions, if you don't get into your course in the first year, you kind of think I'm done. 
Yeah. But most people don't realize at the time that you can transfer very easily and often graduate in the same time as people who got straight mm-hmm. in, which was the same in law. So many yeah. people I graduated with went sideways, but we finished at the same time Amen. anyway. Yeah. And there's such pressure around those initial mm. applications and things, isn't it? And you'll yeah. know exactly what I'm talking about because, you know, medicine and law and other areas, they're so hyper competitive, aren't mm. they, to get into? And, you know, you're kind of talking about like, points of of marks separating people so super intense and and like you say was at the time really crushed um but actually looking back now it was that failure in a way or it was that moment which has actually led to to this moment right now you know not to kind of get too corny about it (laughs) no not um, corny at all yeah it's, it's crazy i mean that happening led me to discover this passion for psychology it Mm. led me to to do some volunteer work overseas you know it led me to sort of find that the gym and fitness was something that for me was just a massive passion and protective Mm. factor for my mental health you know so I wouldn't be doing the things I'm doing now or sitting right here with you right now that's for sure if if that hadn't have actually sort of turned out so as you say it's it's really not that linear Mm. path that we often make it in our minds is it it's it's sort of this roundabout messy (laughs) scribble (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) the graph's like and I always feel like those diversions are the things that make you course correct and and make active decisions because if everything just unraveled exactly as you planned it or imagined it you'd never make a conscious choice again yeah whereas by the time I'm like, oh, I've had all these ideas bottled up and they're all coming out. I'm like, that's kind of good. Don't know where that came from. (laughs) Wow. But yeah, I think those are the ones that make you take those active decisions of you could have just decided, actually, I'm going to keep going and just do science. But it it made you realize, actually, medicine is still what I want, but these are all the other things that I've gained along the way. I know that now, you know, you're you're doing your residency in psychiatry and it takes an enormous amount of work to specialise and you've been at uni pretty much since <laughs> this time that we're talking since about forever. now. Yeah. <laughs> so from, you know, that first year in science, what was the progression of the studies and mm. alongside that, the progression of your realisations that you wanted to specialise in this way? And how do you get your head around? So this is a big thing for me. In this day and age... We all want instant gratuity. If we decide that we're passionate, we're like, okay, I want to do that now. (laughs) You can't do that in medicine because you decide I want to do psychiatry and like 55 years later, you're like, okay, I'm still not doing it yet. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm like 10 years I've been done. Yeah. Like it's a big exercise in patience with your passion rather than like I can just quit and start psychiatry now so tell us about the patience piece as well as that's Mm. unraveled and that hasn't always been easy like and it probably signals why I'm bouncing off the roof with a decaf coffee (laughs) but like I I I am quite I think I'm naturally quite like a high energy person I can be a little bit impatient when I decide that I want to go after something or Mm. I set my mind on something I can be a little bit kind of like okay yeah. Come on, I'm ready now. I'm ready. To, I'm ready to do it. Um, I but, left car club yeah. behind. I've chosen a different pace in my life. I'm over it. I've moved <laughs> yeah. on. I'm in the big smoke. Like, come on. So much smoke. Yeah. Just hit me. And yeah, as you say, medicine is is the long game. 
and it's um, not an easy game as as most things that we kind of are really working towards and want to chase are. So yeah, for me, the study, like I say, I sort of missed out on that medical spot straight out of high school and then did a course in psychology just as a first year student uh, and just absolutely loved it. Like I just found it so fascinating mm thinking about what other people were thinking and feeling and all these crazy fascinating things like dreams and motivation and it's just fascinating stuff so I really just fell in love with that and dove into it um, straight away so yeah so did my bachelor of science in mainly neurophysiology and psychology mm-hmm. um, and it was the neuropsychology that I really loved the most wow. and, and it's kind of crazy that you know in my personal life and my professional life it's always been that balance between the physical stuff and the mental stuff that mm. that I've really just found as my sweet spot yeah. so decided from there that that medicine was obviously still the goal and was pretty set on psychiatry the whole way straight away through really yeah i wow. just you know i remember someone coming to one of our psychology lectures a young guy talking about his journey being diagnosed with psychosis mm. um and as as gut-wrenching as that is for someone to be met with that diagnosis he was just so incredibly inspiring and you know i just remember him saying things like you know working with my psychologist and working with my psychiatrist and the belief that they had in me and how how they helped me kind of work out the difference between reality and and mm-hmm. maybe what was in my mind I just remembered sitting there kind of with (laughs) goosebumps almost being like, I would love one day to be in that position where I can kind of help someone with that. Um, So yeah, I was pretty, pretty set on it, was swayed a little bit now and then by some of the, (laughs) the bright lights of, of surgery and different things. Yeah, I can imagine. um, Because there's kind of a hierarchy even within medicine, right? Yeah. The sexy areas to go into and then. (laughs) The Grey's Anatomy Yeah, literally. (laughs) And I've got a bone to pick with that, to be honest. Do you really? Oh my God, please, Dish. I mean, we need to talk about serious stuff, but this is really important to me. (laughs) Tell me. I've never been like a Grey's Anatomy watcher or anything, but. I think it got on, it went on Netflix recently. Yeah. So over some of the ISO <laughs> stuff, I've dabbled in a few episodes. And, you know, there's all these different specialties and obviously they're all surgical trainees. But every now and then there's an episode where, you know, the, the psychiatry resident comes in oh, yeah. to chat with them. And you're just like, no. And it's always portrayed as like this super weird thing <laughs> that they're kind of all talking down about. and They know, need to hire you as like a consultant <laughs> I get on my little soapbox in front of the TV and I'm like, this is not (laughs) the image of psychiatry and mental health that we need to be promoting here, Grey's Anatomy. Um, (laughs) But I mean, that's symptomatic of culture, right? I think that's one of the reasons why your work is so impactful and important is because psychiatry and psychology have come such a long way. 100%. But are still heavily, heavily stigmatized and like... I would say I've gone from hiding desperately that I'd ever seen a psychologist Mm. or ever even experienced vague anxiety or depression and and worrying about what that might be interpreted as to now flushing it about like, guys, Mm. my psychologist is better than your psychologist. Like, you know, we all (laughs) have one. This is what I've been through. Yeah. Yeah, And it's much more uh, accepted. But I think, you know, we'll get into that. But I think for women, it's a lot further along than it is for men. Yeah. Yep. Even more why I think you're doing such wonderful things. 
So just to finish off how you actually got there, mm. so science was three years or four? Uh, three years for a Bachelor of Science, yep. And, and then medicine was? Medicine was <laughs> seven? five. Oh, five. Yeah. Straight med, okay. Yep. So straight med and then? How, mu- how much of residency was at the end? You pop out and you do two years as like an intern or like a junior. Okay. In Australia, we'd call it an intern. In New Zealand, we call it a house officer for some reason. Thanks for um, translating. I wouldn't have known what house officer. I would have <laughs> I thought it was it's like something to do school with usually with sleeping there and, okay. and kind of manning the house. Okay, um, yeah. That's I think cute. I may have just made that up, but I think that's... <laughs> Everyone, Kiwi Even... listening is like, that's not what they're called. <laughs> Where did All you my get medical colleagues yeah. are like, out. Not a house officer, mate. <laughs> get out of here, mate. Yeah. Well, he's like, Don't interest. come back to New Zealand. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so I did that for two years, moved to Perth and did ah. sort of my first initial experience in psychiatry in Perth and then went back to Auckland for like the foundation years of my psychiatrist training and then have come to Melbourne to finish that off. So I am seven years out from med school now. Oh, my gosh. And I'm still (laughs) So that's 10 years out from uni. I mean, sorry, Uh, 10 years since you, wait. So seven years since I finished uni and then I was at uni for eight years. Yeah. Whoa. (laughs) What skincare do you use? (laughs) You're like, how old are you? I'm like, are you 85? (laughs) What is even happening? I'm the Asian one. I feel it in my soul. I (laughs) I mean, you are a perfect example in patience, particularly if you knew from the start of the medical degree Mm. that you wanted to go into psychiatry, knowing how many years it would take you to specialize. But I think people don't understand outside of the industry as well that a lot of your work is practical in that it's mm. not your whole residency isn't just you at lectures yeah. like, thank god yeah, right. I, mean, I, don't I think anyone may do have <laughs> needed a psychiatrist much more myself yeah. uh but yeah when you when you pop out from medical school it's almost like an apprenticeship when yeah. you're doing your specialist training so you're working at the hospital full time and you're moving through different rotations so mm. for a psychiatrist that's been child and adolescent mental health adult inpatient psychiatry, like on a mental health ward, Mm -hmm. physical and mental health. So on the medical and surgical wards, looking at things like epilepsy and brain tumors or infections that are causing mental health symptoms. So you progress sort of through all these different areas as a bit of an apprentice learning Mm. the craft, whether it's to become a surgeon or a psychiatrist or a gastroenterologist and then you're sitting exams like big exams and stuff along the way um so i would have thought that would be something you could leave behind oh i wish so you've only got a year a year left so i've got just over six months until i like fully pop out as a fully grown human (laughs) 25 decades later (laughs) 32 and and starting (laughs) life yeah so yeah, oh, how it's exciting. A massive journey. And it's it's kind of surreal to kind of feel like that's You're getting close. Yeah, because it's just been, like you say, mm. <laughs> from a 17-year-old being like, okay, I think this is what I want to do one day yeah. to now being here and nearly being in that position to really help people in the way that I want to yeah. is amazing. But yeah, but it's been hard, like you say, yeah. exams and working those super long junior doctor hours, mm. but then having to get home and, and study for an exam after work or in the weekend and stuff. Oh so gosh. it's kind of, I can't, yeah, I can't even imagine that unique place for someone doing a 
a residency for specialization where you are working a full-time job and you're a full-time student at the same time. Like Pretty much that's what it's like. <laughs> yeah, I mean balance is really not a word. I, I imagine you've been able to bandy around that much. But... Not that much, no. But <laughs> <laughs> lucky I've had my little pockets of, of outlet, which in a fairly weird kind of out-of-the-box way, mm. um, what's led to things like the men's health cover and yeah. stuff you know I've had these little pockets of oasis for me that yeah. have kind of kept me feeling balanced and and sane mm. through that journey and exercise and stuff as I'm sure will come to as yeah. one of those biggies <laughs> for me yeah so. absolutely and so I want to definitely dive a little bit into the other thing I mean I now even more so don't understand how you've had any time to do anything <laughs> else but just quickly can you explain for us I, we've had uh, a psychologist on the show before mm. and we've had a few episodes dedicated specifically to mental health, but we haven't had a psychiatrist. So firstly, welcome as our first psychiatrist, (laughs) almost psychiatrist. But also, can you explain just the fundamental differences between psychology Mm. and psychiatry? Because I think that's also something people don't understand. Such a good question and a really common one. People Mm. are like, so which one are you doing? Uh, And and in a nutshell, I guess a psychologist is someone who has completed a degree and usually a doctorate in psychology. Mm -hmm. And the, the bulk of the work for a psychologist will be around talking therapy you know if we're thinking about a clinical psychologist it's it's talking therapies it's it's exercises and practical tips for someone to maybe get to know and understand themselves better to move through depression to help with anxiety and and i mean there's a i'm not doing it justice (laughs) and any psychologist listening i'm i'm sorry get that guy off (laughs) send him back to calf um I could buy you a T-shirt that says "Send him back to Calf Club." All I your colleagues, that. yeah. <laughs> Whenever I make these stupid remarks, yeah. I can just be like, just get him off. <laughs> so you know they're doing a whole host of things, working with people's minds um, mm. specifically, and and I guess the difference, the major difference with a psychiatrist is that a psychiatrist is someone who has trained as a doctor. Mm. Uh, they're a medical doctor who is chosen to specialize in mental health and that includes some of that talking therapy as well but it it often includes making diagnoses Mm -hmm. for things like depression or schizophrenia or anxiety and it guess pivotally the the difference is prescribing medications for Mm -hmm. those conditions as well so that's that's something that probably most broadly separates a psychologist and a psychiatrist and Apologies to everyone for that probably <laughs> <No>. <laughs> terrible explanation. No, I think it's really useful but, to know because, I mean, I've seen – I have both, yeah. but people who haven't had an experience with either probably don't understand that you don't have to choose one or the other. It's not kind 100%. of like an osteo and a myo. Like they're not no, – it's, it's yeah. both work together on different aspects of the same mental And that's health such a good issue. point, you know, because I think that's something that we get bogged down with a little bit when we're thinking about mental health. Mm. It's not about going with – a psychology approach or a talking therapy approach or a medication approach. Mm. You know, I often have people come to me being like, oh, I've been really nervous about this and putting this off because I know you're a psychiatry doctor, so you're just going to chuck me on medication. Mm. Um, You know, but yeah, you put it beautifully there when it's about these things working together. Mm. And so often the the best outcome can be if if we're marrying that psychology approach with a medication and a medical approach if it's needed too. So, mm. And yeah. I think that highlights another big misconception that people have around psychiatry, which is probably not unwarranted from past approaches, mm. but that psychiatrists aren't all just going to pop your medication without evaluating the situation. Yeah. And you're a wonderful 
advocate and role model for the fact that you do, you know, really strongly emphasize exercise and lifestyle factors as well as just, you know, medication. The classics. There's, yeah. yeah, there's other ways to manage your mental health and you've been able to somehow build on the side a whole other career in you know, <laughs> bodybuilding and fitness modeling. And tell us a bit about, about that and then how that's led you into being a bit of a spokesperson for men's health in general. Mm. Yeah, and it's still, I mean, <laughs> when we first met just before we started recording, we touched on the fact that, that a lot of this stuff still seems so surreal to me, <laughs> um, and especially over the last month with the men's health thing. Oh, my God. Just been like going to the supermarket and being like, what the hell? Is that my face? <laughs> That's my that? face. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's it's so weird how just plugging away at stuff that we love and that we're passionate about can you know and I know you will attest to this so much but it can just lead to some amazing unexpected sort of paths or doors that we would have never expected so mm. during medical school in my early years as a doctor you know with all those hours and sitting in the library and just hammering away at textbooks um, working out and exercise became something for me that that was just my outlet. Mm. Um, it just gave me that that real sense of just joy and relaxation. It was my kind of meditation now, I think, looking back. Yeah. And just started working out more and more. And then had a mate at the gym one day be like, oh, you should try out a bodybuilding competition. And you know, <laughs> You're like, uh... small town kind of <laughs> quite a shy kid. <laughs> you know, yeah. I remember the first thought that went through my head was like, yeah, right. <laughs> do I have to get a spray tan yeah. for that? Does that involve a wax? Yeah. No, no thank you. Yeah. But, you know, I think to my surprise and definitely my family and everyone else's surprise, <laughs> I was kind of just like, why not? Like, yeah. um, this is something that I enjoy and I'm always up for a challenge. So my first year out from medical school as an intern was when I decided for better or worse to do my first bodybuilding show, which was incredibly difficult, but I just loved the process of it. Like, mm. I loved the setting that real goal and working towards it uh, and just the grit that it took to have to you know train twice a day before and after the wards oh you know God, take, I don't know how you take my I don't know how I did it either to be honest but you know taking all my little and my medical mates will have a bit of a lol when they picture this <laughs> your chicken uh, breast in a yeah I would like bag. come to work with this big <laughs> bag of like all my little meals for a 15 hour shift yeah. like portioned out and stuff and you know so super intense obviously mm. that pathway to competing but but I just really enjoyed it and, and one thing led to another and so I ended up doing a few more shows ended up being invited to go to you know some fitness show? expos in China yeah. um, oh you have to always um, <laughs> this just makes it justified with that look as well <laughs> Lucky no one else can see that. <laughs> I can attest that there's yeah, a very there's a creep face. stalkerish look going on. <laughs> I haven't seen people in three months ago. <laughs> we'll give each other some leeway. Yeah, I've opened up a calf, calf club. <laughs> see? It we always all, comes back to We calf all have club. our calf clubs here. Let's totally. not judge. Totally. <laughs> so, yeah, so it just kind of led to one door opening after another. And mm. next thing you know, sort of I'm having some still as crazy as it sounds, some some fitness modeling opportunities. And so that's kind of where that fitnessy side of what I enjoyed really started to evolve. And from there, it's it's kind of merged into this weird, beautiful mix of 
a passion for medicine and mental health somehow combining with that fitness kind of world and mm. and that's led to opportunities to you know work with amazing teams and and people like you know the men's health magazine crew and Love you know study. different tv kind of appearances and stuff talking about health mm. basics or men's health or why a lad can still be a lad and go to the gym and like eat heavy weights <laughs> during a session but also be like talking about their feelings and yeah. and thinking about some of this kind of classically more sensitive stuff so I yeah mean, that's, that's the perfect segue into really what the timing of this episode has all worked out to lead to is that in men's health week it's a time where we can acknowledge particularly as women as well there's so much about women's health and women's body image and women's menstruation and we, you know everything there's a lot of women targeted stuff because mm. there's been a lack of that before and because mm. it's quite specific and we're like pretty needy let's be real well and it's rightly deserved <laughs> and you yeah know, we like have a lot of issues super you know important stuff yeah. <laughs> but i think men's health hasn't gotten a lot of limelight because by nature, you know, there's this image of masculinity in society. Mm. It's not something that is as comfortable. Men as a default position, as a mass generalization, don't talk about the, you know, things behind closed doors as much. And I think it's great to have that dialogue opening up for women as well to mm. understand, like we were laughing before about how I, like, I think, I don't know if it was with you, with you or if it was before you got here, but I was laughing about how a few years ago I was like, what's a prostate? <laughs> not a clue. Like did not understand the pop culture references in TV shows. Yeah. But, and the same, like Nick wouldn't have known what a, you know, what a pap smear was yeah. until recently. 100%. So yeah. I think this cross-pollination of giving airtime to our issues that are different to each other, mm. but then educating each other about them yeah. is really important. And also giving men's health issues in particular a platform to encourage men to talk to it a little bit, talk about it a little bit more. So yeah. in your work, what would you say, uh, both in your own work, but also outside, what would you say are the biggest issues in men's health generally facing mm. the male population of the world? Yeah. Secondly, how has COVID impacted that? And thirdly, in your, your particular experience really highlights the fact as well that there's an increasing pressure on men as much as women to have a body image. Mm, and yeah. I imagine that that's got its own mental health ramifications that it's very familiar in the dialogue for women, but mm. men probably don't realize they're under pressure to have their body looking a particular way. So yeah, sorry, that's a lot of questions in one go. But Such good questions. Just like, yeah, just Amazing. go to town on men's health for men's health week. Oh, I love that. That's like I'm like a kid in the candy yeah, store. I can see you're all like, oh, oh. Each one I was like, oh. So I guess the first one in terms of like what are the biggies for men and, mm. and for men's health right now? And I love that you pointed out that, you know, I don't think this is just about talking to men or what's important for men to know mm. because like you say just as for women's health we would want men to be informed at least in some respect mm. and, and supportive and understanding about what women are going through I think it's it's the same like you say we kind of merge that together I think for men I mean obviously I'm going to say it no one's going to be surprised but but mental health is one of the biggies yeah. for men right now and um you know, I, I know you had Jake uh, on, you know, a few episodes back and that was such a, like a powerful episode. And I just, I said to you before, but I was like <laughs> listening to it being like, yes, yes. <laughs> just like fist pumping alone in my kitchen. Um, but you, you know, invite him to calf club. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> Calf club. Yeah. True. I'll tell him. I'll pass on the invite. <laughs> <laughs> True blue calf club. Yeah. Right 
but yeah i think it's it's mental health is one of the biggies mm. for men's health and that's something that we're just kind of ripping the surface off which is incredibly positive to see more men just like jake did and, and just like what he's doing you know with his organization and things that he's doing is opening that discussion because men have really poor outcomes when it comes to mental health and the statistics around there are, pr- are pretty frightening you know what, what are some of them so you know and even as a mental health doctor some of this stuff still shocks me when i sort of hear it but but suicide for example is the leading cause of death in young men in About australia and any other, above medical cause. any other cause, even above accidents or car accidents, that you is know, so mind blowing. Yeah, and it's just it, it's gut wrenching. Mm. You know, it, it makes me so sad to think that one of the leading ways that we're losing young guys who have their whole lives ahead of them have all this potential locked up inside of them, and, mm. uh, and you know, the, the leading cause of death is is those young men taking their own lives Mm. you know and that's probably around rates of mental illness rising for men and women but I think a lot of it has to do with sort of the stigma and the stereotypes around mental illness particularly for men Mm. when it comes to all that masculinity side of stuff so you know mental health is one of the keys Something that you said, sorry to interrupt just no, before no. we move on, is uh, that I loved is that there's no stereotype in mental health. Yeah. I love that as your kind of key driver of the fact that we think it looks a certain way, but it doesn't. And it doesn't have to. 100%. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, like you say, it doesn't discriminate by age. It doesn't discriminate mm. by gender, job, mm. salary. You know, it's 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 the great equalizer. Mm. And it's not health. a defect as well. That's taken me a really long time to not see it as like yeah. a – I mean, it's helped me to conceive of it as an injury because then I take mm-hmm. it seriously. But it's also been good to not see it as like, a, a yeah, a default or a defect. Definitely. And that's one of those kind of pervasive bits to the stigma around Mm. mental health that I'm so passionate about kicking to the curb, Mm. you know, because I think the history of psychiatry and mental health and mental illness is actually really fascinating. And that's a part of my training as a psychiatrist too. And we've come from some pretty scary places. You know, we've come from places where people with mental illness or certain conditions have been labeled as morally wrong or Mm. maybe even religiously or spiritually possessed or damned um, you know and all these different beliefs about mental health sort of filtered up and we've come such a long way but some of those underlying sentiments about what it means to struggle with your mental health are still there and as you say that idea that mental illness is a failing or a defect or must mean that you know we can't hack it or particularly for guys like we're soft or not hard enough or can't manage it you know that is all just absolute rubbish Mm. you know what we know about mental illness now is that there's often not a whole lot separating it from from physical illnesses you know and and we would never jump on somebody's case and be like yeah you've got a bad ticker oh what What have you done (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, yeah, you yeah. clearly failed there if you've been diagnosed with cancer. Ugh. You yeah. know, we would never, <laughs> yes, we yeah. would never associate those things. Yeah. And so the fact that we still even subconsciously connect those things to to struggles with mental health, you know, is one of the main reasons why I've become so passionate about talking about this stuff and mm. writing about this stuff. Mm. Um, 
Yeah, so that's that's kind of biggie number one, I guess, for men's health. Yeah. And and a lot of the other stuff is kind of, and it links in with the, the masculinity kind of stuff as well. But but I think some of the big stats around men's health are that we're, we're also just pretty bad still at seeing a doctor or yeah. following up for tests or filling a prescription. Um, <laughs> yeah. you know? Basic life admin. <laughs> and that's not because <laughs> us dudes can't do that stuff. Yeah. You know? Is it? Not though. Like, <laughs> we can juggle two tasks. We can multitask some. <laughs> some some tasks. Some tasks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you know, I think again, is that you know that that kind of the, the harden up, the kind of the mm. a lad's lad doesn't need help. Um, yeah. Oh, she'll be right. Like I don't know. You know, especially growing up in a small rural town. Like yeah. I don't know how many times like I heard my dad or an uncle or someone in my life kind of you know never in a kind of an actively harmful way, but obviously oh, the, oh she'll be right yeah. kind of thing. Like no vulnerability. Like let's just move on yeah, right past exactly. this. Exactly. Like no problems here. Like my yeah. arms kind of hanging off yeah. by like <laughs> some tendons and stuff, but it's fine. Take a bandaid on. Right. You don't need a bandaid. You'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. So I think it comes when it comes to some of those chronic health conditions like diabetes and heart disease you know men still are really kind of hitting the high rate levels for those things mm. and and a lot of that comes around to sort of how we're thinking about our health and and you know reaching out for help making the appointment and stuff so it's what do you think are the key factors for change to continue to change that mentality and approach to men's health among men? Is mm. it more role models like yourself who are normalising talking about it more? Is it different approaches to social media and messaging? Like what are the things that have created the change we've seen so far and that will help continue to do that? I think that's the million dollar question, yeah. but, but I think it, it's, I think it's all of those things, yeah. you know? And I, I think one of the biggest things is, you know, it doesn't have to be an athlete or an actor or someone, you know, talking on TV or having their mug on a magazine. Mm. Um, you know, it, it can just be men and women actually in their everyday lives and with their families and with their with their kids with their young boys championing that message that you know it, it doesn't make you any less of a man or mm. it doesn't mean you're not a, a lad or it doesn't mean you're not you don't have your masculinity if you're asking for help or if you're thinking about your health and if you're prioritizing those things mm. um so i think kind of getting those messages gradually through our, our young men is, is where a lot of this change is going to come. And, mm. and you know, we, that has been coming through. Like mm. it's, it's so positive to see, I think, especially young guys now yeah. so much more plugged into this stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, when I worked at the child and adolescent mental health clinic, I was often blown away by like some of the young guys that would come to me with these, you know, incredibly like emotionally plugged in kind of thoughts and feelings and things. But mm. but often it wasn't something they felt that they could sort of share or talk yeah. to mates about and stuff. So totally. I think it's it's all of us, no matter what the capacity is, sort of stepping up and, and sort of um, being role models for for each other really yeah. about being able to let those walls down and, and still be a still be a man yeah you know? what about uh during this whole crazy 2020 and, mm. and particularly coronavirus and the subsequent isolation i think that's been a big challenge to all genders in their mental health yeah 
just change of routine, massive uncertainties and, you know, inability to keep up with the routines that do kind of help you get through. In, you know, your experience as a doctor from the actual side of the medical profession, how has that all played out for you? And have there been any big learnings or silver linings or reflections or Mm. advice that you have for anyone who might still be adjusting to that change? I mean, it's been such an incredibly challenging time hasn't it I think all of us in some way have been really rocked by this you know and and Mm. how could you not like Mm. we've I think in the space of only three months we've gone through so much change our routines have been completely upended you know we've we've seen horrific things and seen rise up in incredibly powerful movements and things in recent weeks and there's just a lot happening Mm. at at the moment and I think we need to realize that as humans our mind soaks that in you know and so I think a lot of people have been feeling just slightly not themselves slightly anxious maybe not sleeping that great Mm. and and people might be sort of being like well why like what's going on and it's kind of us connecting to the fact that actually there's been a shitload of stuff happening you know we've we've (laughs) moved through some incredibly significant things and changes and changes in our routine I think are are one of the key points there that I've been talking to people about a lot Mm. Um, but also that I know myself and other doctors and and people have been experiencing too because Mm. even within the hospital you know our daily routines and things have have really changed as well you know we're getting our temperatures checked and we're getting symptoms screens as we go into the front door of the hospital every day the hand hygiene and moving to and from wards and everything really really ramped up and and there was a sense of kind of anxiety in the air at the hospital as well um, because we didn't know either how bad you know with COVID how bad things were going to get so it's been an incredibly challenging unsettling sort of time in the medical community too and Mm. and it's so good that at least in Australia and New Zealand we've kind of we've done so well here I think and and everyone's done an incredible job Mm. with the the social distancing and the restrictions and it's it's really the the curve has flattened and and we're now able to work our way out of it but I loved um I read you were talking somewhere about flattening the anxiety curve as well yeah that was actually Actually, an equally important thing to talk about is that the accompanying anxiety that comes with something like a pandemic is as important to deal with in society. And hundred percent, yeah. And and I think that the change in our routines, as you pointed out, has been such a massive thing here because yeah. whether we're aware of it or not, our routines and our patterns for how we live our life are the things that keep us kind of mentally ticking away you know and even if we don't recognize how important that coffee with a mate is or that gym session after work is I think when we don't have those things and our routine suddenly changes Mm. we realize that those things were kind of keeping us chugging away and I've talked a little bit about recently around the neuroscience of routine Mm. and certainty and our brain locks into that Um, And it fires off some of the same reward pathways as things like sex or um, alcohol and drugs might. You know, we get a little hit when we're doing those regular things and routines. Uh, And when that's changed and we feel uncertain or we've lost our routine, it can leave us just feeling deflated. Far out, like who the hell am I? Like if I can't go to the gym for two hours after after work, you know, not saying that I'd 
Sometimes I do that. (laughs) (laughs) You have two hours spare? (laughs) Sometimes. Um, But, you know, like all those little things. And we can suddenly feel very untethered. We Mm. can feel very anxious. Our appetite goes off. Our Mm. sleep's a bit up and down. And I think that's one of the big things that people have noticed in these sort of last several months with everything happening with COVID. Mm. I think now we're understanding that the anxiety curve, as you pointed out, is is equally important to be thinking about here because isolation changes to routine, fear around infection and and going back outside with restrictions lifting. These are all very real things and they're just as important as keeping ourselves safe physically as well so I also think what you said about the fact that we do tie our identity in so closely with certain things that when they're stripped away a lot of people's question has obviously been like what's happening am I safe but Mm. a lot of people's main questions actually been who am I yeah when I don't have xyz and that's a big I mean you know you've listened a big part of this podcast is stripping back our identities and learning to find our our sense of self when everything around us is constantly changing. So true. And I mean, you mentioned before maybe what have been some of the silver linings mm. like for, for me or the medical community and, and things that I've noticed. And I think for the medical community, like we've always known that a health profession is a bit of a family. And so one of the amazing things for me has been seeing globally, but also here in the hospital that I work at, just kind of coming together as a family, like oh, doctors yeah. and nurses, just kind of putting themselves on that front line and being willing to to man that for people, no matter how bad it was going to get and also supporting each other. Like it was, it's been pretty beautiful in a way, sort of having people at work, sort of asking each other how they're doing. And like, I love that point as well about, you know, this has made us sort of think about who we are without Mm. all that busyness going on around us, (laughs) you know, and and that's something that I've found too, you know, it can be a little bit type A, pretty perfectionist, pretty kind of on the go all the time. I know what that means. I was going to say, you you wouldn't understand. No, I have no idea. No idea what you're talking about. It doesn't sound familiar at all. (laughs) But, you know, so finding myself in the place where, what do you mean the gym's closed or, you know, having to kind of get a bit of a new routine. I think in a weird way, it's actually been good for me personally and and I think for a lot of people too because mm. it's made us realize that that we are something beneath and beyond and our above yeah our attachments to the things that yeah. we do and have and and even what we look like yeah. uh, as well so for me, that's been a little bit of a silver lining. Like I don't have to be such a raging type A about yeah. my schedule and my routine <laughs> yeah. and stuff. Like I'm still me yeah. even without that. So Well, that leads really nicely into the next section, which is NATA. And I mean, we've covered a lot of the challenges that I can imagine you go through as incredibly difficult hours, COVID being such a big change, your own mental health in the process of asking so much of your brain for the past decade. Mm-hmm. But I also think being such a type A person and before now wrapping your identity so much around your achievement, Mm -hmm. has burnout been something that you've really had to manage and Mm -hmm. has self-doubt wrapped you in the times when you're doing something new and putting yourself out there? And I also wonder, you know, in the medical community, being such a family, I can imagine, and I've I've had uh, Dr. Nikki Stamp, the cardiothoracic surgeon Mm -hmm. on here before, and she also expressed how it's new in the medical community to be on social media and to talk about your job. And it's uncomfortable for some people to be using a new platform to ventilate these kind of issues. Mm. Have you had backlash from that or 
kind of critics and, and how do you deal with the self-doubt and confidence yeah. in that oh, time? You're so spot on there. <laughs> it's like a, a little window to my soul <laughs> yeah, just opened like, up oh. in you. How does she know all this stuff? Um, <laughs> yeah, because I mean, I mean, all of those things um, are things that, you know, particularly in the last few years, I've kind of had to contend with. And, mm. and I think you will understand this probably so much yourself too. I think the more we kind of open ourselves out to our passions and we mm. we chase things and we maybe start to move outside the the lines or outside the traditional box a little bit you know that's so exciting and and uh, inspiring and and things but it, it does leave us more and more open i think to some of those challenges with self doubts and and being criticized by others or having opinions thrown our way um and that's something that i've definitely had to move through yeah. um it'll be no surprise to anyone i guess that that some of the things that i have done and and even that i'm doing now are are not as we've sort of touched on the stereotypical image <laughs> yeah. of what you think when you think of a of a future psychiatrist or or a psychiatrist you know so when it comes to the fitness stuff there's there's been a lot of backlash about that mm. at times and you know I'm inherently a people pleaser um I like <laughs> I yeah. like to look after people and yeah. I like to to know that people are uh safe and happy and comfortable and so for me this journey to be sort of in a position where I'm doing the things that I'm passionate about and and moving my career in a bit of a space in a sphere where I'm kind of able to hit that sweet spot with all my different talents and, and passions and skills or whatever it is has mm. been challenging yeah. because there have been a lot of colleagues, a lot of more senior doctors to me. And, you know, I know Nikki and, and I know that she talks about a lot of this as well with her experiences, as you say, but some of the opinions from the medical fraternity which can be <laughs> quite traditional and things as yeah, i'm sure and, and you know law can be the same probably mm. you know there's been a lot of opinion that that this is not what doctors do you know yeah. doctors don't enter bodybuilding competitions <laughs> doctors doctors don't have photo shoots with their sh with their top off you know and so that those opinions and that criticism has been something that I've had to contend with yeah. and I've just had to stay grounded I think in the fact that that this is something that I've really loved and something that I'm passionate about and it doesn't have any bearing on my professionalism or my knowledge as a doctor or my ability to help patients at work yeah. and in a weird roundabout way it's it's something that I think in my gut I always knew I could maybe combine in, in some way, yeah. you know, and if, if kind of being a little bit in the fitness world or the non-traditional world means that for some reason I've had a chance to connect with men in particular mm. um, about these concepts of mental health and, and physical health and body image for men and you know pressures in social media and in the media around what men need to look like these mm. days and you know then then I'm going to be all for it yeah. um, but yeah it's definitely part of my nay to yay story <laughs> is definitely having to um hit off a fair few haters that's that's yeah. for sure well I think that's actually just a necessary outcome of doing anything that's new yeah. or, or it's almost a reassuring sign that you're pushing a boundary yeah. if you get that kind of response because I am also an eternal people pleaser I actually just put a post up about it this morning I'm like terrible at confrontation mm. I love a challenge unless it's a confrontation yeah. and I'm, then I'm like I'm I'll so shy away all the way from that <laughs> yeah <laughs> even if it's like 
should be said. I just, nah, I can't. But I think if you are pleasing everyone, then you're actually probably not taking a stand on anything. Yep. So it's a good sign. I think if, you, if you're a bit divisive, you've probably taken a strong stand on something you care about. What about in your own experience of body image now mm. that you, as, as particularly in something as aesthetic as a bodybuilding competition, did you find yourself maybe going too far into the hypercritical, not all the way to orthorexia, but like over perfectionism and control? Yeah. And that's, I, I think, if anything, maybe given you an insight to be better at what you're doing because you have been there. Definitely. Yeah. And that's something that I have definitely moved through mm. struggles with at times yeah. when I was right in the thick of sort of the, the bodybuilding competing and, yeah. and doing some of that photo shoot work and stuff. You know, it, it's so easy to get caught up in that sense of my worth is related to what I look like, yeah. you know, and I think when you're doing something as intense um, as as bodybuilding, for example, it can be very easy to tether your your sense of self and your self worth to things like what is my body fat right now, yeah. you know, like why are my abs up the top popping, but the bottom <laughs> ones are just being such a pain in the ass, like which is ridiculous, yeah. I know, but but it's you know, it's not at the time; it's totally relevant. To yeah, you, at the time. you know. And I think it doesn't have to be bodybuilding, but I think these days it's it's easy for all of us to fall into that space with body image in some way. Mm. And and this is something that women have been, I'm going to sound probably incredibly ignorant here, um, but, but, you know, this is something that women have been having to contend with for mm. for decades now, if not centuries, when yeah. it comes to messages about what they need to look like to have a sense of self-worth and a place in society. Yeah. But it's interesting that men are starting to come more and more into the fold with that, with advertising, with social media, with yeah. media messaging. And so it's been a really interesting balance for me to be a mental health professional, but also someone who's kind of straddling yeah. those lines of, of doing some of that stuff as well. And at times being like, am I sending out a, a wrong message mm. with this photo or doing this photo shoot? Does that s perpetuate some of these pressures and messages about mm. what men need to look like or, or who young men need to be feeling like they're, they're hitting? Um, and some of the statistics there are pretty scary now. Yeah, um, it's just so like fascinating to think. It actually just totally escaped me for so long that men might ever worry about what they look like before mm. they get a photo taken. Like it just, it's a whole new concept, which it shouldn't be because of course, why would it only be women? Mm. But I was even thinking, you know, how would your internal dialogue differ from a woman who was about to go on the Women's Health magazine? And I was like, of course you would have faced the same internal criticisms and like <laughs> doubt and worry. <laughs> and, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, it's, it's new, I think, to women that men go through that same thing, but social media I think has made it mm. a more pointed yeah. Issue. What what would your advice be to to young men out there or, or men of any age who are feeling that pressure of body image and also being like, what? Yeah. When this is not a male issue, but why am I experiencing that? Mm. And I think it's, I mean, it's calling it out in that way that I think is the main thing. It's acknowledging yeah. it that yeah. again we're coming back to that thing. You know, it doesn't make you any less of a man or <laughs> less of a lad's lad if you're feeling a sense of pressure around how you need to look or particularly in certain bubbles, you know, mm. and that, that fitness bodybuilding type culture within the media or on social media, you know, a lot of people can be feeling incredibly pressured to, to meet a certain ideal, mm. you know, and some of the statistics are, are 
pretty fascinating. Like recent surveys and things of young men, like university age men, for example, if they have to rate where they are now and where their body needs to be for them to to feel that they are kind of worthy and in the best space, they typically decrease the amount of body fat that they have by a significant percentage and up the amount of muscle they think they need to put on by sort of between 5 to 10 kgs of extra muscle. So, you know, there's a significant difference for most young men these days on who they think they are now and who they think they they need to be and and that's projected with everything from toys as well you know like they've done these really weird fascinating studies on like what gi joe and superhero figurines looked like back in the 1980s compared to now and the proportions of those (laughs) figurines now triangles are not humanly (laughs) possible yeah. But, you know, these are kind of the subtle subconscious messages that that young boys and men have been sent today. It's mm-hmm. that if you want to be kind of top of the hierarchy and leading the wolf pack and and getting the girl or the guy or, or hitting your, your goals, mm. then it comes with having to look a certain way. And so I think advice for men about this would be, acknowledging it if it's there and that it's it's okay and it's normal and it doesn't make you any less of a man to be feeling that pressure and it would just be keeping a check I think and this is what helped me sometimes when with the bodybuilding or the fitness modeling I started to find myself getting a little bit too a little bit (laughs) too yeah that's a good way to describe it it. yeah a little bit kind of (laughs) like all right we need to go lead a lamb around the course kind of thing Um, get back down to earth (laughs) uh, you know it's it's kind of recognizing where something is coming from you know so I think there were times where I forgot that for me exercise and going to the gym at its core was just about feeling good and loving the feeling of it um, not about about what I looked like or what body fat percentage I was at at, was at so Mm. I think I often talk to young men that are struggling with this about spending a minute to think about what's driving some of the things that you're after and if you're going to the gym for two hours after work for example because you just love it and it makes you feel good and it's bringing more positive into your life than negative then then go for gold. Like I'm not going to sit here as a mental health professional and be like, that's wrong. Don't do what feels good. That's yeah, bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, if you're going to the gym for two hours, even though you're exhausted and you don't want to go and you're anxious about it and you hate it, yeah. which sadly I've talked to a lot of people in bodybuilding and fitness modeling and stuff that. feeling that way, mm. you know, and so that can be kind of where we start to hone in on, well, what are the drivers for my behavior? Is it something that I'm inherently doing because I love it and I want to do it? Yeah. Or is it something that that I'm being pushed and pressured to feel I need to do mm. because I have to look a certain way? Yeah. Well, that just leads really nicely into the next section about doing the things that we do because we just love them and playing. So yeah. play TA is the last section. <laughs> love this one. Yeah, I think it's something that we just forget to cultivate altogether. And particularly for people like myself and, and you who have our kind of work bucket and then we have our fitness bucket, which is for joy, but it's also a little bit box ticky mm. and becomes achievy and, and yeah. there are markers of improvement and there are goals. Mm. It's hard to find a third bucket of activities that aren't attached to goals or aren't attached to productivity. But I think they're the ones that allow our brain to have the mental space from 
achieving or growing or learning or self-betterment in some way that that allow us to to rest and have yep. balance that allows us to have good physical and mental health. So how do you play? Do you watch Netflix? I mean, I know you have negative spare time in between all of this. But <laughs> no, I do watch Netflix. <laughs> I, I enjoy... Yeah. Uh, um, you write fiction, I read also. Yeah. So I still write. Um, and that's like a real, like you say, a joy mm. for me, something that I do for play just because I love it. And I've done that since I could write really like oh, since I was amazing. five years old and even now it's you know I think when it comes to play and something that we enjoy we know that it hits that third bucket right when when it's something that we would just do for nothing you yeah know, as you say or when it's something that we can find ourselves doing and time just kind of escapes us or we're, we're in that flow zone yeah. and, and for me writing is, is that. that you know and obviously I'm doing a bit of writing these days about medical stuff or mental health stuff or advocacy stuff but you know writing a bit of fiction type stuff is just a bit of an escape for me so Amazing. I love that definitely Netflix as well <laughs> what do you watch do you have to avoid medical shows yeah it just triggers I, I, you when they're like really inaccurate <laughs> we're coming back to that Grey's Anatomy yeah, yeah. again I love Grey's Anatomy but if I knew although I can watch legal shows even yeah. though I know they're completely Ooh, yeah, that's a good question for you actually. yeah can totally I'm like that's wildly inaccurate but like I'm still totally believing that it's actually happening in real life <laughs> you're like but wait are they going to get together because yeah. that's the more important yeah thing, that's right? way more important but also I'm like in the American legal system like who even knows so half the time I'm like it probably could happen it's fine <laughs> it could be real yeah. yeah yeah what do you watch uh I'm actually a big horror movie buff. no yeah okay okay <laughs> I love okay explain so I just don't understand I horror say, as a genre because you love it or you <laughs> no nah, it's because I just f but this is weird because I'm fully yay humanity kindness love rainbows <laughs> but i love like serial killers crime okay wars history like stuff that yeah. i'm just like what is that about i don't understand you're like why do i like this yeah so why much? does it why is this relaxing for me but yeah. and same with you you're like very joy filled like positivity and motivation no horror <laughs> horror is my relaxation we jump from that to like it's so Chainsaw Massacre. literally yeah, i know it's a bit is it the escapism do you think i think it is yeah. and it's it's just because it's you know I enjoy the I enjoy the like the scare in it. I yeah. enjoy like the fright. The adrenaline of like I can't do it. <laughs> and I've got three younger brothers. Oh yeah, okay. So very much like a big household of boys growing up. Yeah. And like we used to really enjoy just like jumping in the grandpa PJs and like having a whole lot of food and like watching these kind of trashy. <laughs> to me it's like, like self-torture. I'm like, why would I do that? But then I guess for other people. They would yeah. think the same about yeah. about crime. I think you're either <laughs> you're either that side of the fence or that side, yes. right? But yeah, interesting. So I enjoy a good horror movie. I love The Shining. That. Is probably one of my all time favorites. So good. So have you seen? No, I haven't seen The oh. Shining. So I think I got as far as The Ring. Texas Chainsaw, I, I went through a phase when I was like 15. You were trying it out. Yeah, I was like dabbling. <laughs> yeah, and experimenting. Then I, and you know when you get to 30 and you're like, you know what, I know who I am. I, like you stop <laughs> pretending to be anyone else and you just realise like I don't I don't like it. It just, I don't I hate need to it. see people getting like, yeah, like chainsawed up. Yeah. No, but I don't mind it if it's in the context of a crime book. Interesting. Like, because it's not like 
it doesn't give you a fright. Yeah. Like you you know the gore and you know True. you know what I mean? I think yeah. it's the fright factor that I'm like, oh no. <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs> oh. I love I live for that. <laughs> yeah, see, I'm like, I've got anxiety. I cannot. That is a trigger for me. <laughs> Even talking about it, you trigger that. Get this guy out of okay, here. Okay, I'm glad you're a psychiatrist, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> We'll talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Like, we'll take this offline. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, so. That's great. As dark as that makes me sound, probably. No. I, I'd love a good blob sesh with a movie. What about Saw? Are you into the Saw movies? Mm, not so much. Like, I'm not the biggest fan of the gore. Okay. Like Supernatural I, I, horror? or like... Supernatural stuff, Ooh. because I find that really scary. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm a little bit superstitious it. at baseline, I think. Yeah, so, nice. Yeah. So, no, I like a good fright. Like a good bottle no. of popcorn and just like <laughs> blobbing on the couch at some stage in the weekend after a Amazing. massive week. What else? Like, I mean, you've mentioned obviously that that fitness and and exercise has at times become a little bit more of a a job or a chore. Mm. Um, but at its baseline, for me, that is still something that I just absolutely love, love. Mm. Um, and that is definitely my my yay like and my play (laughs) like if I can get out there and it doesn't matter what it is like have a smash around on the tennis court or go for a run or do some weights like I just come out of that feeling damn endorphins yeah (laughs) endorphins are high like that's why you don't need coffee (laughs) sensitive to caffeine and endorphins clearly but um yeah i i just love it it's um it's my play time it's my zen time nice yeah I could, oh my God, chat to you forever. <laughs> I'm like conscious that you have negative free time. So <laughs> to finish up, what are the three interesting things about you that don't normally come up in conversation? And I feel like Ooh. you can do the black coffee decaf addict as one. So <laughs> two others. Say, that probably counts as about five. Yeah, that's right? definitely up there. <laughs> it's up there. <laughs> uh, what else? It's probably another slightly embarrassing thing. They're the best ones. I'm like a big... Like, you know, when you're driving down the motorway or the, the freeway or whatever, and you like see that person next to you in the car and they're <laughs> just like belting it out. Yeah, they're just having a you. good old sing along in the <gasps> car. Yeah. That's oh, me. that's you. <laughs> and my family and my mates have some <laughs> really embarrassing like shower recordings and stuff. Oh my God. Yeah. So I like, a, you know. I need to get them to send me one to put in like the <laughs> intro of this. <laughs> <laughs> if you want your, if you want your podcast to bomb then it'll or be so go viral this is true either or social media is a strange either beast or. these days <laughs> yeah so i mean that's something that people probably again that's don't that's a good one so, so yeah i just i love music and so i just uh Love a, bit of a, love a bit of a sing now and then nice. for, for what it's worth. It's, nice. It sounds probably pretty awful, but no. um, yeah, what else? Do you have a middle name or anything? Do you have a Maori middle name? Oh, I don't actually. Oh, that's a shame. It's, yeah. It's fairly, <laughs> that would have been a good one. I'm just like projecting what I wanted you to say. <laughs> Again, you pronounced that beautifully. <laughs> I wish my middle name actually had some kind of really nice Fancy, pronunciation. Hard to, hard to it's, say word. It's Richard, which yeah. is my dad's oh, name. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So well, I like how Kieran like, Kennedy is like alliterated and Richard just kind of ruins it. I know. Right, so I just leave that <laughs> yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, Dad. Let's just cut that yeah, out. The, the KK sounds much better. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and what else? Probably one more thing for that would be I've definitely got a sweet tooth. Really? Um, yeah. So for all the <laughs> a doctor's 
really healthy because I feel like we get this image of you guys being like the picture of wellness because you know the facts, but I feel like in real life you're probably just like, nah. Yeah, I was going to say, I think in general doctors are like any other human, human and, you know, something we often joke about at the hospital is, uh, what is that line? Do what I say, not what I do. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I think we're yeah. just like everyone just don't else. Don't do, just don't follow me yeah. as an example, yeah. basically. <laughs> <laughs> no, so even with all the, the you know, fitnessy stuff and that, I um I love a bit of a, a dessert. Like a lolly or a cake? Mm, not lollies, more like the creamy, oh, creamy. So okay, like yeah. chocolate, ice cream, oh, yeah. cheesecake. No, oh, <laughs> cheesecake, wow. Oh, yes. Wow, what a monster of a food. Yeah. <laughs> There's some horror movie evil yeah. in that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And since I love quotes so much, what's your favourite quote? Yeah, I love quotes too. So I had to think about this one a bit because I've got, Several favorites, being a bit of a yeah. I was like, I'm gonna give him notice. I feel like he'll want some time to reflect. <laughs> You're like, no more than ten. Yeah, please. <laughs> yeah. Just like, uh, make a short list. Yeah. So one of my favorites is is probably by um Helen Keller, who obviously an amazing American author and activist and stuff. Mm. And she moved through early 1900s deaf and blind and achieved incredible stuff. Mm. And one of her quotes was um. Life is either a daring adventure or nothing at all. And it's a really famous quote, obviously, but but I just have always loved that quote. Mm, Um, And it sort of reminds me at times to to just just go all out and, and sort of go for what you're passionate about. And, you know, we've touched on sort of difficulties with you know, long hours and burnout or people's opinions or going outside the line a little bit. Um, but, but quotes like that kind of remind me, well, we're here for a bit of an adventure, you know, and we're <laughs> yeah. here to kind of just dive into it. And so I, I, I really love that one because for me, it sort of really holds that ethos. Um, mm. But, you know, coming back to our mental health chats as well, I think a quote like that also reminds us that Life is that. It's an adventure. It's messy. It's imperfect. It's, you know, an ugly cry. It's, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? You it's it's like You'd bear the brunt of a lot of ugly crying. I've seen a good range of crying. Yeah, yeah. wow. <laughs> <laughs> Some beautiful crying too, yeah. but yeah. But, you know, again, I think it, it's, for me, at least a quote like that is a nice place to end on in terms of when it comes to this mental health stuff mm. for all of us, you mm. know, whether we're a man or a woman or anywhere along the spectrum in between, mm. um, you know, talking about your mental health, thinking about it, opening up to others about it mm. and recognizing that what's going on up here mentally is just as important as what's going on out here physically and and what we see on the surface. And, you know, so especially for men and especially during Men's Health Week, I think if we can be making that a, a point that, you know, th- these things are are on the same tier here and, and what we're feeling and what we're thinking is just as important as what we're, what we're doing and being and looking uh, as well. So... Well, you are a wonderful, wonderful role model for that. Thank you so much for joining and sharing so openly. And uh, I'll make sure to include links to all the things you do and all the places people can find you. And I feel Thank like you'll you probably so have quite a few questions and reflections after this. I hope so. But, you know, uh, like yeah. these discussions is uh, so something important. I'm so passionate about. So I just... Uh, Thanks so much for having me here, for putting up with my rambling. <laughs> I'm for... just still frothing on calf club. <laughs> All the questions that come yeah. after this, it's, it's none about matter. mental health. Yeah. It's like, so calf club. Yeah, um. I literally was like, 
was like, shit, he's here for men's, men's health. Like, like, how can I talk more about the cast? This is really annoying. How do you do this? Like, you've got out my embarrassing coffee order. We've talked about calf club. It's a I'm thing. some weird sadist that's like ho- likes horror movies. Yeah, people are always like, why did I let all that out? What did you do to me? Oh, I'm God. like, it's the drugs. It's ballet. <laughs> yeah. That coffee, I put stuff in it. I can tell. <laughs> no, it's been an absolute pleasure, Sarah. So oh, thank, thank you, you so, so much. much for having me and for spreading the messages that you spread um, <laughs> because it's uh, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful thing to watch and humble to be a part of it. Oh, thank you so much. It really seems so silly that women would forget that men face the same challenges of self-worth and body image that we do, but that's even more reason why conversations like these and initiatives like Men's Health Week are so important. The mental health statistics are even more moving and I think we all have a role to play in helping our boys and men change those numbers and I'm so grateful to Dr. Kieran for coming on and helping spread awareness and keep the conversation going. I hope you gained something from our chat and would love, as always, for you to share any insights or resources tagging at Dr. Kieran Kennedy and myself. And of course, if any of you have been part of Calf Club, I really need evidence of that as well. So please do shoot that on through. If any of you or anyone you know needs help, I've included a list of resources, including, of course, the wonderful Lifeline in the show notes. It is not a weakness in any way, but a strength to reach out. So please don't hesitate. Lots of love to you all. I hope you are seizing your yay.